We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Mama, there goes that man. You know Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I'm so glad that you have joined me yet again. And if this is your first time, welcome aboard. And of course, I encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes so you can get a sense of what we like to do, the arc of uh, how we got to this point. So thank you so much. A lot to talk about. The world is a crazy, crazy, crazy place. And we have some wonderful folks on this episode to talk about it. But before I get into all of that, I want to remind you guys, you can go to the WadesWordProductions.com website to check out all things D-Wade, whether it's the Friday Express, Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group, some other fun stuff that we have on the page as well. And I'll make it more interactive as we go along. So you guys definitely check that out and subscribe to the email list. So periodically, not frequently at all. <laughs> I will send you some emails. Uh, someone will send you some emails about what's going on with the podcast. Also, want to remind you guys of the 24-hour-a-day sports line, 832-941-6614. Whatever you want to talk about, call, leave a message, and we will try. If you have a question, and frequently I'll ask you guys questions on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook. And you guys respond on the sports line. 832-941-6614. If you have comments on past episodes, on uh, opinions on sports, whatever it is. That's the way we get to be interactive with you since we don't come to you live. So this is what's coming up this time out. A lot of the features that we normally do, we aren't going to do. We're just going to get into some very important conversations. First, uh, Houston Defender writer, veteran writer, written for the Chronicle and all over the country. Just a wonderful writer, Terrence Harris, a friend of the show. And, uh, of course, uh, he's our guy. And he'll come up first and we'll talk uh, about some sports stuff. And, of course, uh, we'll talk about George Floyd and sports. So we'll get into that. And in the second half, into in the not just sports talk portion, we have an extended conversation with former Houston City Council person Amanda Edwards. And that's a very important conversation. So I suggest you stick around and listen to that one. Because, again, it's about what's going on, which is much, much bigger than the world of sports. So a lot going on. And we can't begin to get into every single aspect of all of this but we certainly delve into a few of these uh a few angles on what's going on uh these days in the world of sports and around the world so with that let's get into some headlines in headlines the world and the sports world continue to reel from the murder of George Floyd. Last time out, I really just I came to you guys and talked about what I felt about what I saw and what is going on in America. Probably not as... I didn't articulate myself as good as I maybe have wanted to, but I just... It's just a, a tough week. I'm, I'm telling you. And, and as I talk to people from around the country and on social media, this... I've never seen so many people really having 
sort of a depression, a sadness, an anxiety. This is real. This is not a test, man. This is something that we've never seen before. We're in uncharted waters and we don't have any kind of leadership and which is fine because, uh, you know, change can come and does frequently come from the bottom up. And that's that's the American tradition. And so a lot of things are changing. Uh, I did see the apology by Roger Goodell and what, you know, I will get into that in future episodes. Won't get into that this time out. Had a chance to talk to Terrence Harris before all of this um, with statement, all the statements from Roger Goodell. So I had a chance to talk to him about this. So we, we didn't have those comments um, before we did that interview. Um, but we'll get into that. But the NFL is shook, and, and rightfully so. And I'm so proud of the young athletes of today that are stepping up in a major, major way. They are doing the damn thing, and I'm proud of that. And they're changing. Let's, let, but you, you want it to be, of course, if you live long enough, you have some cynicism. You just want to make sure there's a follow-through that goes with that. And in the second half, we talked to Amanda Edwards about just that. But in the first half, we talked to Terrence Harris. But, you know, just a tough week. It really is. And everybody is concerned about black. Well, a lot of people are lending lip service, you know. And we'll see. This is my thing about that. We'll see who's sincere. I always think of these things in terms of relationships and maybe referencing my relationships or the relationships uh, in the past of friends or people that I know. And I look at the situation with white America and, uh, and I have been in situations in relationships where I'm going about my merry way and I may hear some chirping or some complaining from my, my spouse uh, or whatever. And I don't pay it much attention. And then she explodes and not, not physically, but just, you know, it, it's an eruption of emotion to say you are doing it again. And then that, at that point I say to myself, Oh, okay. So now I hear you. Okay. I'm going to try harder. And, and, and I hear you for the first time. I'm really processing. You have really finally effectively communicated to me that you are not happy with this. So now I know, give me a chance to do better. And that's sort of where we are now. What I want to guard against is, (laughs) this has happened too, where you say, well, you're going along, you hear these complaints, you don't pay them much attention. There's an eruption of emotion or just a statement to say, look at me, listen to me, this is how I'm affected. And then you say, well, okay, well, now I know let me change and then she'll say or she said it's too late no you can't change so i don't want to get to that point but a lot of people feel like they're like no drew Brees. no matter what you say i'm done with you you're canceled this relationship is over roger goodell this relationship is over so you have to ask yourself do you want to be the divorcee in a situation like this because this is what i do know had no one spoken out Everybody's pissed off. Now that people are speaking out, some people are still pissed off. Now, what will happen is if you speak out and don't follow that with X, then everybody will be pissed off in whatever form. Well, not everybody, but most people will be pissed off and upset about it. So we have to decide who we are in this relationship 
with all Americans and all the world for that matter, uh, or do we say to ourselves, okay, it seems like people are getting it. And to me, yeah, there are people who are getting it. You look at the, uh, across the board, everywhere you go, it's a multiracial protest going on. It's not just black people. It's not, I mean, and obviously we have people co-opting this cause for their, whatever they have on their minds. Can't help that. Can't have uh, 60,000 people or thousands of people in any given city to act out and ask for change and not have other folks put their agenda with that and try to co-opt the, the, the cause. So that'll happen. But who are we in the African-American community moving forward? I'm taking a, a wait-and-see attitude on all of this because I don't, until you apologize to Colin Kaepernick, I'm not buying what Roger Goodell is saying. This is a statement made out of convenience because your players are pissed off. Your workforce is, if you don't handle this right, you can shut it down. You're already going to take a hit because there may not be fans in the stands. So you have to jump out in front of this. A lot of owners are. We got into this whole thing this morning about the owners. And I was explaining that the owners are speaking up. And Silver Fox, well, I hadn't heard them. Well, they are. And they're giving money. And people. a lot of people don't care about the money. They want they want the action. And, a lot, and I think we need to pay attention to the details. Because when somebody says, okay, we have a whatever, a 10-point plan on how we're going to get better. Okay, we need to go and read those 10 points. So we have, we're instituting A, B, C, and D to make something happen. Then, okay, now we got to go back and look at what they, what they plan. Because it's easy to say, oh, you just talking, you just throwing money or something. I, you don't care. And unless we go back and look and see, and see, this is where activism is hard. It's not easy. And you can throw, I always say, you can throw the tantrum. So now, okay, we, we got everybody's attention. What do we want? What are people doing? How are we making them accountable? That is where, that's where we are now. So, well, I don't know. Okay. And, and, and quite frankly, there'll be some people so wounded by their experiences in life, and probably rightfully so, that they're not going to come back from this, and they'll never have a, a relationship a, a open accepting relationship with white America. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. It's just the fact that some people have had such negative interactions, encounters, experiences. Then they're not, it's nothing anybody could ever say, just leave me alone and let me live my life. I don't want to see you. I don't want to deal with you. And and that's unfortunate, but it's reality because I mean, you, you never know what people have been through. And how they internalize that. And again, I'm not saying they right or wrong. I'm not saying any of that. But I don't want the majority of us to be that way. Because the fact is, no one is leaving. We're all here. We have to find a way. And I'm not saying this in a kumbaya manner. We have to find a way to move forward together. So whatever that looks like. We have we cannot continue to have a large portion of our population afraid of the police just because of their skin color. That's unacceptable. That is not American. And I don't want white America or that portion of America. And I hate saying white America, black America, because everything is gray anyway. 
You got some white people feel this way, some white people feel another way, some white people feel a third way. Some black people feel this way, some black people feel that way, some black people feel a third way or a fifth way or a 100,000th way, whatever. But I do not want portions of our society to, to get so caught up in the symbolism of America that they don't want an actual America or they ignore what America really is. I have an essay and I'll be sharing that talking about that. Look at who we are. We don't know who we are. We need to do a home inspection. So that'll be out. But right now, when I get into our conversation with Terrence Harris, had a great conversation with him. He's a friend of the show, great writer, has written all over the country for major uh, daily publications. Right now he's writing for the Houston Defender and uh, doing great work over there. Here's our conversation with Terrence Harris. I've got Terrence Harris back in the building. It's been a minute, man. Corona has knocked us uh, sort of all over the place, but I'm glad to have you back. And I just wanted to have uh, have you on to talk because it's such a tumultuous time and, you know, just wanted to hear from my folks. And how you doing, man? I mean, first and foremost, your your mental health well-being, because I know for me it's been it's been grueling. Yeah, well, what I can say, man, is I, I, we've been blessed. I mean, you know, me and my my kids. I mean, we've been great. I mean, we, we 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 you know we we've remained healthy through this all. I mean, you know, but we we've you know we've tried to follow the guidelines as much as possible and be as smart. I mean, you know, as we possibly can be in in dealing with this, making sure you know we're wearing the mask, we're wearing the gloves, and most importantly, I feel like is can continue you know making sure we're paying attention to washing our hands as much as possible. And I think you know we we've done those things. And I think that that, you know, that's helped. I mean, but you know, we're like everybody, you know, we, we get a little stir crazy sometimes and want to get out the house. But, you know, that's when we go take a ride real quick and then come on back. Yeah. And I know on top of Corona, which it seems to be like on the back burner, obviously all the protests around the country in regards to uh, George Floyd and just all the things going on. I mean, at one point, cities from coast to coast were on, on fire. I mean, literally on fire with with the the protests from D.C. to L.A. and you know New York to Oregon, and so it's been rough. What do you tell your kids about the things that they're seeing, the unprecedented things uh, we're seeing in this country as it pertains to folks coming together to protest over racial inequality? Well, I tell them is, I mean, what we're seeing is we're seeing the the actions and the outbursts from from the disenfranchised. I mean, people who feel like they they're not they haven't been a part of this process. They've been you know, disrespected by this process, and this is what you get. You get people who act in ways that we're not we're not accustomed to. And sometimes, as, as I've explained to them, I mean, you know, we may not be looking at this, and and we may not be all the way comfortable with it. But it's going to take that, I think, to bring about real change. And so I think you know it's it's it's, it's good to you know it's, it's you know some of it's good to have. I mean, it really is. I'm not as bothered by, you know, you know, the rioting and some of those other things because I think that's what people want us to get caught up in. But really, you got to get to why is this happening? Why are the people doing what they're doing? It's not like they just woke up one morning and decided to start doing this across the nation. There's been a a, a cause and effect kind of thing that, that's that's gone on, and it's it's you know it's been George Floyd, it's 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 been Aubrey, it's been Trayvon, it's been you know it's been some of everybody, you know. 
And, and these people, you know, who do these perpetrate these crimes against African American people, they they do it, and oftentimes without much reprisal. So you're right. We're going to be angry. We're going to be tired. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be mad. And I think we've earned that. I mean, you know, so I have to explain to my kids this is this is what's going on. And, you know, and I think that, you know, the end result is going to be a better America for them, you know, once this is all smoothed out. One thing that I've talked about, and I posted this actually on Facebook, and I, and I and I didn't ask you about this prior to, but it, and if you want to, you can. But I I said, you know, people look at these incidents with police, the Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Philando Castillo, of course, George Floyd. They look at these situations, but oh, every once in a while these things happen. But I think for black people, every black man that I know has a an interaction or multiple interactions with the police. Do you have one that what's like what's your me too moment when it as it pertains to interacting with the police, whether it's good or bad? I mean, because for me, I've had a lot of what I say, uneventful interactions. But at the same time, I've had some not so good, some adverse, some inappropriate interactions uh, with law enforcement. What do you have? I mean, even if you don't want to talk about it, do you have that experience? Well, I mean, I think we've all had some experience, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Mine isn't kind of what you what people might believe. I mean, you know, like I've also said during all of this, and I mean, and I think this is something we need to, you know, as a, as a, as a black community, we need to have this conversation too. And sometimes part of our problem and, and part, of, part of the problem, and, 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 and well, they haven't been as much of, of, as a part of the solution as you would like to see them be, and that's African-American police officers in a lot of ways. It's this whole kind of crazy black versus blue kind of thing, which I don't get. You know, and years ago when I was in college, I had a situation where, in Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm from, where me and some of my friends, we were standing out. We hadn't seen each other in a while. We're all college kids, and we're standing in a parking lot, and we're just talking to each other you know not in any kind of you know crazy way we're just having conversations you know catching up and while we're catching up the police come over to us and tell us that we need to we need to break up and and, and move on and we're like okay and then there's a but what we notice is there's a a group of uh, white students or white kids who are doing the same thing as us maybe about i'd say maybe 50 feet away in the same parking lot they never walked over and said a word to them, not one word. And then, so then they came back to us after a few minutes and said, hey, didn't we tell you all to leave? And me being, you know, an outspoken kid, I said, well, you know, I'm just wondering if you guys had a, the jurisdiction to go over there and talk to them the same way you're talking to us because you know, I didn't, they're standing there doing exactly what we're doing and you haven't said a word to them. And so the black officer, he pulled me aside and he said some nasty words to me. And, he, and at the end of the at the end of it, he told me what he would do to me. He said he would throw drugs on me, he would throw me in the back of that police car, throw some drugs on me on the back of that police car, and make it very costly for my parents to get me out of the trouble. And I looked at him and I said, "Wow." I said, "Well, I will tell you what, brother." I said, "I mean, I, I just find it hard to believe that Dr. King and those guys marched for you to have this opportunity for you to try to screw me over." I said, "But let me tell you a little bit about me before you make this dumb decision." All right, I'm a I'm a college student. Right now, I'm in Cleveland doing a, a internship with the Cleveland Plain Dealer. So yeah, you go ahead and you you throw drugs on me and try to pin me as a as a as a drug dealer or something if you want to. Be, you have to be my pleasure. I said, but you'll be the one looking silly. And the brother looked back at me and he said, you know something? 
get out of my face. I said, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and they left us alone, That's, you know. It, but you know, but you have to, but you know. So, and I remember that from a black cop. So, if you get that from a black cop, can you imagine what we're getting from white police officers? Well, you, but I mean, I NWA that, mentioned it. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> black that, police you, that, showing that out for the times, white cop. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of times they're not they're not any better. And I just wonder sometimes if they're not doing a good enough job also of just policing their own colleagues. So that they know, I mean, I keep looking. I don't know if anybody else is seeing that, seeing this, but one of those cop, one of those four cops in Minneapolis looks black to me. I saw that. Nobody's really talking about that, but one of them looks like looks like he has at least some some African American blood in him. And they let that go on. You cannot. They are more responsible than these white cops in my mind. When you allow this stuff, you're more culpable because that's what you're here for. You were there, not and you're not there because they want you there. You're there because they have to have you there because people have fought to make sure because they thought that having black police officers on the force would would mean fair treatment to African American people, and that just hasn't been the case. And at some point, we have to hold them responsible. You know, these black the, the black police officer unions and stuff like that. We haven't really heard a word from them. What point do we say, hey, where's your responsibility in this? How do you, you you need to start policing your colleagues a little bit better. And like I said, we didn't even talk about this, but I just know from experience that 95% of the black men that I know have had, including me, have had these these negative interactions. And again, I'm not painting everybody with the same brush, but I know for a fact, even, even though I may have gotten stopped without a ticket or whatever and just a warning or go on about your day, I, you know, I know when I was stopped or I suspect I know when I was stopped because, oh, okay, well, we're going to stop this dude, you know, and, and those are stories across the board. And I think the reason why I mention that is because I think this is not water cooler talk. You're not going to have this conversation at the job, you know, with your colleagues. So they don't know the little injustices that happen all of the time that don't make the front page. Now that interaction was uneventful. For the most part, he said things, he, he did things. It was a negative interaction, but it didn't make the news. It didn't make headlines. I bet you most of your white friends don't know that story. But those stories happen all the time. So when you see a George Floyd, that's why the African-American community just erupts and explodes because it's more than just, uh, you know, uh, uh, Philando Castillo. It's more than Tamir Rice. It's more than George Floyd. These little injustices happen all of the time, and I think people are oblivious to that. And you're right. I mean, I mean, I think it does. It happens. I mean, you know, the, the thing about this is the difference between now and, 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 and a few years ago is all of this stuff is being videotaped now. And, and, and videotaping has, has made the difference, I mean, in terms of really bringing more of this to the forefront. You know, in the past, it had been, you know, their word against 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 yours or whatever. But now you have video. I mean, a lot of this stuff is being videotaped. I mean, and thank God for that, because now we can we can say, hey, look at this. I mean, you can't you can't brush this under the rug anymore. It's bad enough that Rodney King got brushed up under the rug, even though that was videotaped. I mean, in plain as day. I mean, what they did to that man. Right. So, I mean, you know, so it is. It's good that, you know, I mean, you know, the, this whole video phone phenomenon has been the, the best thing in the world. And we better continue to use that as our weapon of, 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 for truth.
Yeah, no doubt, because you can't dispute what was on that that video. And thank God that that young lady did uh, record that, and uh, you know, and, and really started what can be changed uh, moving forward. I want to ask you about on the, the sports side of things when you talk about my man. We are seeing some folks exposed. Drew Brees. We are seeing um, coaches. We see. We're seeing a lot. A lot of people holding coaches their feet to the fire if they don't speak out. I, I know they yeah. went in on Dabo Sweeney a few days ago. You recruited, you made millions of dollars off of these black athletes. What are you going to do now in a moment where all these black communities that, that produce these black athletes need you? What are you going to do? And what do you think about? Uh, you can start. You can jump in anywhere with, with the coaches, with Drew Brees, where, where, you know, wherever you want to start. What do you think about uh, the sports world sort of being uh, some figures in the sports world being exposed? Well, when I'm, you know, something I'm gonna talk about those things first, but I'm, I'm gonna give some credit real quick, and I'm gonna give some credit to the Houston Texans coach Bill O'Brien and, and what he did on on Tuesday morning in a press a press conference that was really supposed to be to to introduce Michael Thomas. But he jumped on and he he jumped on first. And I think, you know, we all had to be, you know, very impressed with how he seemed to get it. And I think we've all had different opinions about Bill and and how he's handled certain black athletes. And I mean, but I felt like here was a man that wasn't and he wasn't just talking off, you know, off the top of his head. He was talking as a man who had researched. I mean, who knew who knew, you know, he had facts with him. I mean, you know, and so I was impressed with him and how and his perspective on what's going on and, and, and how, you know, him and the Texans need to be part of change. And so I thought that was great. I mean, you know, you, you need you need more of that. But then I think, you know, this is it's a shame that this is it took this to spawn that. But it but we're here. And so, I mean, I was impressed with Bill. Now, as far as Dabo Sweeney and a lot of these college coaches, man, they don't respect these kids. I mean, they, 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 these kids are nothing more than a commodity to them. Their issues and, 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 and their needs, I mean, you know, are just are not really that important. What they need is they need those kids to be ready and primed to go and get out there and win football games for them so that they can continue to make their millions. That's what they need, and that's what they want. So Dabo Sweeney and guys like that, but these black athletes not, and, and, and their parents, they need to be paying attention. Don't send your kid somewhere where a coach that like that coach ain't had it doesn't have his back. Don't send your kid there. Send your kid somewhere where they're gonna understand, where they're gonna be there for them. They can listen. They got they got somebody whose door they can walk through and talk about how they feel. And you know, it was a young man, I think, um, a tight end for TCU uh, last week, who tweeted out he wished his coaches understood. You know, he wished his coaches had something to say. And it was funny because within an hour or two after that. Guess what? Gary Patterson and his coaches had something to say, and they were reaching out to those kids. I mean, but before then, they just kind of sat back. I mean, you know, because coaches don't, you know, like I had Tyrone Willingham uh, once told me when he was when he was head foot, football coach at Notre Dame, and I covered Notre Dame during that time. And you know, he told me he said there's two things that a, a coach shouldn't get involved in because you can't win that battle: religion, conversations about religion, and about politics. And this, you know, and, and, and these these protests and uh, social issues, they come very close. That's that's politics. Right. And so a lot of coaches don't want to get involved. But, at the, but the reality is you have young kids who are a part of these communities whose families are being affected. They're, they're being affected 
one way or the other. I mean, they, they, you know, because their friends and people they care about are still in those communities. So they're going to have an opinion, a thought. You know, they're going to have some concern. They're going to want to reach back to their communities. And you, and, and, you know, coach, and, you got to support them. Right. And I think it pits. If you think about where the coaches are in some of these universities, you have real rich alumni that could care less about the plight of black people, black justice, any of that. They could care less about that. And they're funding the program with their big checks and they're buying suites and all of that. So you have a coach who you don't want to offend those people. And then you have players who you need to be successful. And I think it's an opportunity for coaches to talk to those, the boosters and the alums and say, look, this is not just a a current problem. This is not just a football team problem. We need you guys that are boosters and supporters of this program to wake up and understand what's going on around here and how we need to help our student athletes. So I, I think that this is this can create if if it goes right, these coaches not only have to to say stuff publicly, they need to go back and have those conversations with those boosters and those check writers who who fund these athletic departments with big big donations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, but you know, you a lot of those guys, you can't change their minds because guess what? Those are those are all many Donald Trumps for the most part. You yeah, know, yeah. and so you you, you know they, their minds. I mean, they, they it's taking them a, a long time to get this stupid, and so it don't go away that easily. And so I I think that that's that's an issue. But at some point, you have to just be able to stand up to them and say, look, I am going to be my own man. I'm going to run my program. Now, does it make it easier having your dollars? Of course. But your dollars are not going to change who I am as a man and how I deal with my, my student-athletes. You're paying for a good football program, and so keep, continue paying for that. But other than that, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, and we hope that these coaches had the courage to do so. And like you said, if the parents do their homework and know what yeah. what actual coaches have their backs. Let's turn to the NFL. When you talk about what Drew Brees <laughs> – Drew Brees, again – conflating protesting with disrespecting the flag which again it just proved and it's so disappointing because drew Brees has done a he's written a lot of checks he's done a lot of good things in new orleans he helped with covid testing and and katrina and all that. he has kind of on one level been on the front lines but then you show you show that you just not only does he wasn't listening he was almost a, like combative and, and, and unnecessarily yeah. offended what do you make of that entire situation, and can this be repaired in that New Orleans uh, Saints locker room? Well, as far as I've always been concerned with Drew Brees, I, I, you know, I, I dealt with him for a few years over in New Orleans, and, and and Drew is not. I mean, he, I was never offended by him, and nobody ever is. I mean, but I just never felt like we were ever getting a real person. We were getting this person that was processed and made up. I mean, and and, and taught to say with what he was supposed to say and not really it was like he's following a script in some ways so i never really got that real a real genuine feeling about drew i mean but i, I think we did the other day when he ta talked about this whole flag thing but it was so disappointing because once again what, what frustrates me and angers me the most and this is when you just can't have a real conversation with white people about this whole kneeling thing this has nothing to do with disrespecting the flag or the country or servicemen or any of that. This has everything to do, and this is the conversation they don't want to have because they can't win it. Is this conversation, the, the kneeling is about the disrespect, the, the, the murder, the, the senseless murder and killings of black people at the hands 
uh, police officers and other white people and then those people not be brought to justice in the proper way. That's what this conversation is about. That's the only thing this kneeling is about. It's not about any of that other stuff. I mean... Yeah, and, and you know, and it was me. Trump. I mean, I, I, Trump was one of the first ones in, to make it. I mean, he was he was the loudest one. But but like you, you want to make the, he said from the outset, and this is again, this is what is so tremendously frustrating. But again, like you said, and, you know, well, I, I don't want to talk about that. So we, let's argue about this because we can't right. win on that. We can't you know? win that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. can't win. We can't win the murder part. We can't win the, the crimes against black people part. We so. Notice how that conversation it never it, it just goes away and it can and then it morphs into this whole conversation about disrespecting the flag, disrespecting servicemen, disrespecting the country because they it's like it's, it's like a classic it's like a script that white folks have. Let, let's let's twist it. We can, certain things we can't win and we never get back to why Colin was kneeling, why those players were kneeling, why they felt the need. To, to kneel and 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 and, and during the during the playing of the national anthem, I mean you know, it, and it has nothing to do with. But once again, that's that's the only argument that they can twist it to where they could at least have some type of some type of win in that whole conversation. And what I don't understand, and I think I told you this before we we started, but what what frustrates me and disappoints me as a human being is that. You want first and foremost people to look at that videotape and say, "Say that is a a human being. B, he was uh, a an American. You you wrap yourself in the flag. Do you want to live live in a police state where this happens to any American? And then he's a, a African American. Like 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 if you can't process this that happening to African American, process the fact that this is a, a human being." And I said that, and I mentioned this on the previous podcast that that there were there are people who won't say anything about this, but if it would have been a dog or animal, they would have went back crazy. And I want Just, people to see him as a human being. For this is a human in American streets being treated like this. that. That looked like some some out of China or or I've never seen it. Period. Or Nazi Germany. Germany. This is some crazy stuff we saw, and I think people need to process and acknowledge that first. And, and you know what I mean. Even if you don't want to talk about the other, that's a human being, and that's that's what's so disappointing for me. Yeah, and I and I I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, brother. I mean, you know, it is. It's just you know they but, don't they they don't see we don't we don't have that type of value to them. And so when they see a black person getting abused. Oh, that's just another black person. That's just another Negro, or whatever they want to call us. I mean, you know that. That's all. We we don't really care. That don't count. But you're right. I mean, they get a lot more. They get a lot more upset about a damn dog. I mean, just think about two weeks ago when that white woman, in in, in that park, Central Park, started screaming that some black man was 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 harming her and threatening her, and the man was videotaping the whole thing, and the lady doing that whole time because he was just asking her, "Hey, man." Ma'am, can you put your dog on a leash? She's snatching this dog all types of ways. Choking and the guess dog. What white folk, yeah. and, guess, and, and guess what white folks got upset about? How she was handling that dog. Not not that she was, you know, blaming a black man for a crime that, that clearly wasn't even going on. And and acting in such a way that you would have thought that she was being hard. You know, I mean, nobody they weren't bothered by that. They were bothered by how she was handling that damn dog. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy, but I think that again, in one way or another, we have to awaken everyone in this country to the humanity of black men. And uh, and I think this has been uh, encouraging when you start to see how many people have spoken up for so long. And I look at my city and I'm proud. I'm a native Houstonian and I'm proud of my city that we came together with over 60,000 people. I don't know what the actual number was. Some people said it was higher than 60,000. Some people said around 60,000. Whatever the number was, there were a lot of people and a lot of people from every different race, creed, and color coming together in Houston. And for the most part, we didn't have the the looting and the, the, the destruction that we've seen in other cities. And I'm just proud of the city of Houston. I'm proud of Deshaun Watson for stepping up. I'm proud of Alex Bregman checking races on his uh, social media. You know, I'm proud of, of how the city is coming together. Cal McNair made a statement. And again, you know, I have my feelings about the Texans. <laughs> and and yeah. I've had my feelings about Bill O'Brien. But they're doing the right things. Now let's see. I'm boy, they're saying the right things. Now let's see what you do moving forward. We can make you accountable. But I'm glad you at least said the right thing for starters. What do you think of the response of the city of Houston? Uh, I mean, I, I've been impressed. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of nudging and, 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 you know, and just making sure. I mean, this thing has been massaged very well. And, and I think, you know, they've tried to head off any of the, you know, any, any of the, the rioting and looting as much as they can. And I mean, and I think it's, you know, it's worked. I mean, but I also believe that they, you know, that, that you know, having a chief like Acevedo, I mean, who sometimes, I mean, I've watched him and not, not necessarily agree with some of his words, but I mean, I think, you know, in this particular situation, he's been saying and doing all of the right things. But I mean, you know, two weeks ago when, when his, when he had an officer who was being accused of, of some similar things, I mean, he, he came out, you know, like from the rip and, you know, in, in defense of that, that, that officer, you know, to the point where he put his own job on the line, if you remember. And so, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. So, I mean, they got some you know, issues in HPD. Yeah. So he didn't listen. He wasn't a listener then. So, you know, he wants to be a listener now, but I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, this, this was, you know, everybody's, understanding the moment and in this moment you gotta you gotta say and do the right things and 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 they're being forced to but like you said now we need to see your actions yeah man yeah, so will, um, before we uh get out of here one one last thing i want to ask you about the nba uh coming together and playing basketball all oh, you are we do you think this is gonna work because already we're seeing athletes from around the world and even at the University of Alabama, a couple of athletes testing positive for COVID, and they haven't even gotten started yet and all of that. Do you think it's going to work, the, the 22-team uh, sort of uh, eight-game regular season and then go into the postseason? Do you think uh, – because there are a lot of moving parts here. I, on one hand, I'm optimistic. On the other hand, I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. What are your thoughts on, on that? I mean, I think it's going to work because they're committed to it, so – it's happening, and it's going. I mean, and they're going to make it happen. Now, is this going to give us the best and most truest result? Heck, no. I mean, you know, this, this is just not. I mean, I don't like it. I think it sucks. I mean, if you can't do it right, it's kind of like they said in the five heartbeats. If you can't do it right, don't do it at all. 
Yeah, and I felt that way about basketball too. Like, all right, we, we kind of yeah. jumped the shark on this this season. Let's just go in the next season. But then when those uh, when the NBA players start losing money, like, nah, we're gonna work yeah, it out. Yeah. Let's work this yeah, thing out, baby. Out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's what it came down to. I mean, you know. So what I know, yeah, and what I know as a sports talk show host, and you as a writer and columnist, I'm already bracing myself for for two arguments. The one argument is. Oh, you know, the Lakers didn't win the championship because it was, you know, it was abbreviated. The season was broken up. They, you know, they would have won the championship if if the season would have gone on regularly. That's one argument I'm I'm preparing for. And if the Lakers do win the championship, you 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 know, it's like hey, this is not legit. How you you know, like you need an asterisk about this championship and i'm prepared to say hey no this is not so whoever wins it's not really a legit indication of who would have won the championship had covid night affected the season so this is going to be exhausting either way it goes i'm just concerned what do they do if a couple of players test positive i mean obviously i think it would shut things down again i mean you know i think there's no no question about that i mean but i think you know as long as they do this thing right i mean I, i don't See, I think they'll be okay where that's concerned. I mean, because it sounds like they, you know, they're really going to police it right and kind of quarantine these players and limit their exposure. And so I think you know you'll have players that I think they're going to be okay. But all it takes is one. Just want to step out a little bit <laughs> in yeah, Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, what what what's been going on at the Defender? How things uh, as it pertains? What, what what are you writing about these days? What's going on? Well, I mean, you know, we're, things are going good. I mean, you know, we, we had a couple weeks of kind of a lull there where, you know, the things had kind of run dry and then, you know, they were able to get things back on track. And so that's been good. And, uh, you know, so we're writing. I mean, like we're doing a lot of really good work, I feel like, uh, you know, work that I think people will be able to come, come. I mean, in terms of documenting this time in history, whether it be the COVID-19 and how that's affecting things or whether it be, you know, this, this current, you know, this current climate. And like in sports, and I mean, and how, you know, this isn't just a news story. This is a sports story, too. I mean, this story, this story stretches into every realm of life. And so, you know, we, we, we're doing those stories. I mean, right now, I mean, you know, uh, this week's story is, is just kind of the, the sports world and how they're dealing with this, uh, you know, with, with, with these race issues and, and, and how they're taking it head on. Next week, I mean, we'll talk to, you know, Michael Thomas about, you know, what it's been like for him returning home to all of this. I mean, and, and then returning to his community where he grew up, you know, and this being very prevalent in his community and how he's handling that. I mean, you know, and, and he, you know, he seems to feel like, you know, this is, this is the best time for him to be at home and, and he wouldn't rather be anywhere else but Houston during this, during this moment. Well, that sounds awesome. I look forward to uh, reading it. Uh, how can folks reach out to you on social media or read your stuff or come into contact yeah. with you? Well, you can go over to the DefenderNetwork.com, uh, you know, and check out my work. You can also go to uh, Terrence Harris, uh, at Terrence Harris on Twitter, and I'm there. So, uh, you know, those two places are the best place to find me. Hey, man, we certainly appreciate it. Like Thanks to our guy, Terrence Harris. Going to take a time out real quick, come back on the other side with a very important conversation with former Houston City Council person Amanda Edwards. But first, a word from our sponsor and, of course, our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy, and a whole lot more. This is Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on 
any platform in which you get your podcasts. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. For more content, go to wadeswordproductions.com. DJ Let's talk with Devin Wade podcast, our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy on the mix. We'll hear a little bit more from him at the end of this episode. A reminder, if you have music you want heard on our podcast, it doesn't matter the genre, just email us at music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. Coming up now, our conversation with former uh, senatorial candidate, Amanda Edwards, former Houston City Council person, uh, gave it a good go. Really ran hard, got national exposure for her efforts, came up a little bit short in the primary, didn't get a chance to get cruised, but uh, bigger and better things are on the horizon for her. We talk about that and a whole lot more. Here is our conversation with Amanda Edwards. Friend of the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, glad to talk to you again. It's been a, a minute. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I thought I was, you know, at, at this point, we'll be getting ready for November and I'd be getting, you know, my tugs ready so I could go to some sort of celebration in <laughs> D.C. But it, alas, it, it wasn't to be. And I thought that, all, you know, in watching how things transpired, I thought you ran a great campaign. And I thought you, uh, from what I could see, you connected quite well with folks from all over the state. So what is next for you? Well, first of all, let me just say thank you for really covering what we were trying to do in terms of making history in the Democratic primary by having me emerge as a nominee. Of course, I was not successful at doing that, but certainly have not lost my motivation and understanding of the urgency of how important it is to get good elected officials into office that are going to be responsive to the needs of the community and not just when something bad happens. You need people who are going to have proactive agendas that address community needs in the way that we need them to do it. So I know that that's important. And so I am not uh, not done with politics. I'm on, you know, politics right now uh, certainly has is going to be on a pause, but service can happen whether you're elected or not. And so 
that is, in fact, what I'm looking to get into are opportunities to still impact the community in ways that are meaningful. We are having a number of unprecedented circumstances placed before our community members, and there's a tremendous amount of need. And so trying to to assist where I can is going to be where you can find me next. You were uh, kind enough to reach out and just check on um, my well-being with all these uh, traumatic events that are happening in regards to the Jewish Floyd. And I mean, that shows some some compassion and empathy and all the things you need in a leader as well. So I appreciate you reaching out. And, and, and quite honestly, we I, I think we all need to follow that model and reach out to folks. You asked me, but now I'll ask you how are, in, in light of what's happened around this country. In regards to the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent protests and marches and, and in some cases rioting, what, what are your thoughts on what's happening to America these days and how are you? Well, first, thank you for asking. I'm doing fine. I mean, I think what we are seeing play out is the awakening of America as it relates to racial injustice in our society. Uh, certainly, we have always been aware, but turned a blind eye and not really focused on comprehensive, broad sweeping change in connection with racial injustice. So, you know, if you just think back into the perfect storm that was created right at the time of George Floyd's death and murder, uh, what you had was coronavirus. So you've got people unemployed, people social distancing. They've got a lot of at you know time at home or watching or looking at social media that they otherwise might not. And then you have uh, a few other occurrences. We saw Ahmaud Arbery get murdered with the shotgun. We saw that take place and how the community had to mobilize. People were running, you know, miles and things in, in, in his honor to try to get arrests made. And, and these were arrests were not even of police officers. These are just uh, civilians who, who felt it was their duty and right to command that he stopped jogging and, and, you know, chased him around his community. So you have that circumstance. And then you had the circumstance with Breonna Taylor ambushed in her home by law enforcement officers, completely minding her business in the middle of the night and, and murdered. Then you have the circumstance before George Floyd. I think it was maybe the same day or the day before where you had the woman in Central Park who threatened the bird watcher to that she would call the police and 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 have him arrested because uh, she was upset with him uh, asking her to put a leash on her dog. And we watched as she frantically called 911 and said, an African-American is here. Come get, you know, basically saying, come get him. And, right. and so we saw her weaponize 911 and, and, and white privilege in a way that was just really uh, something that caused people in the community to just be outraged. And then, lo and behold, we watch the nine minutes of footage when this officer, uh, Chauvin, puts his knee on the neck of George Floyd, who clearly could not breathe and called out for his mother mother in his time of need, and died right before our eyes. And we watched that. Millions of people around the world saw that. And so at that point, it simply, as I would just call it, a, a breaking point. That was the last straw. And so people were just outraged at how ridiculous it could be that these officers would be walking around with no arrests, 
it took days. We just saw the other three officers who were not only just participants, but they were also aiding in that effort. We saw them just get arrested. So it has been outrageous to see all of this unfold in such a short period of time with such a high visibility in terms of, of our access to those occurrences. And it's just been outrageous in a way that has caused people to get up off of the, uh, you know, get out of their homes and take it to the streets. And that's what you've seen. And that's what's happened. And I think some of it, unfortunately, has has led to some some destruction. And, and some of it has nothing to do with the protests. And there, and there are people who are trying to take advantage of a circumstance of a situation. But other pieces of it are frustration and people are now beginning to listen. And so my prayer is that this is a pivot point in the trajectory of our society. When I say that, I mean, you know, we have lots of times where, we, you know, people will dial in for a moment and then tune right back out once the news cycle hits a different story. I've seen that play out numerous times with various disasters, Hurricane Harvey, you name it. We have to do it differently this time. We owe it to those that have lost their lives to do it differently and really not allow those deaths to be in vain and really bring about real systemic change in terms of police brutality, in terms of the criminal justice system and where it does not work. We've seen on a number of fronts where it's not worked here in this George Floyd circumstance. We've got to fix those those problems and then hold leadership accountable. So President Obama talked about now, it's not about protests or politics. It's about doing both and, right? You have to make sure that you have leadership that are negotiating the right deals with the unions that will provide the protections to the public that are needed, that will provide the transparency that is required from, by the public. That's what we need to make sure and then hold that leadership accountable. It's not enough just to cast that vote. You have to cast the vote. And then you have to have an agenda. What are your goals? What's the agenda? What do you expect to see? On what, uh, what premise are you grading whether these people are, are responsive to the community need or not? Because you should be just as clear uh, about it as they are. Because when it comes down to the next election cycle, you should be making decisions on who gets to stay and who has to leave based on how they actually perform. It has to be more of a performance-based analysis and how we do our politics in our society if we want to start seeing results that work for people. And that was what my Senate campaign was really about. And, and I, I'm wondering, how do you harness the all of this energy and this, and this rage? How do you keep these folks engaged until November? I mean, I, obviously, I think the president does a great job of making sure that African-Americans stay engaged because he's so divisive. He's so dismissive. He's, he, he doesn't feel he can't empathize at all with anybody suffering. Not the least of which is the African-American community. How do you keep us engaged and harness this energy for November? Because not only you, you talk about the, the Senate race still has to take place, the general election in the Senate race. You had a presidential portion of, you know, obviously the presidential election. How do you keep people engaged between now and November? Cause it's still a, a long, long way uh, before November 3rd. Yeah. I think it's very, very simple. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake, and these issues are matters of life and death for our community. If you care about 
the issues that we're seeing play out and unfold with regard to criminal justice, you have to participate. And this time, it's a lot different. We, you know, harken back to our last presidential cycles. We had the last one in 16 where Trump was elected and then, of course, 08 and 12 where President Obama was elected. When you look back at those election cycles, we felt a huge sense of urgency as a community as it related to the history that was going to be made in 08. And then in 2012, preserving that presidency and allowing that second term to ensuring that that second term would be secured. We have to think about the urgent issues, issues of our families. So if you want to see someone who is going to incite these types of emboldened acts of brutality and white supremacy, then that's when you stay at home. But if you, you cannot stand for it and if you are unwilling to stand for it, then you have to take that responsibility to make sure you are doing your part to mobilize and mobilization will look different now we we're in coronavirus pandemic times so it's not going to be the big rallies that we're used to seeing around the presidential cycle and the big convention and all of the things right we're going to see something very very different and it's going to require us as individuals to do more of the work so in other words and you might not be going to church right now but and it might have been the place where you used to go on your Sundays and now you don't. You need to get in that phone book and start calling some of those members and making sure that they have their vote by mail application in, making sure that they actually receive their ballot. Because guess what? Voter suppression will be live in a way that I don't know if we've ever seen a comparison. People, there is going to be so much energy around trying to suppress the right to vote. We have got to be prepared and on our toes and ready for that battle and making sure that we have gotten everybody energized to go out and vote. And don't do it for the candidate. You're doing it for yourselves. If you're right. angry, if you're hurt, if you're scared, if you have any of those emotions, if you're experiencing some anxiety that is because you understand and recognize what is at stake and that's the lives of your loved ones so i would just not make it about do you like the nominee versus do you not like the nominee think about whose life is at stake in this moment if they can be you know on in the balance and in your thoughts as you cast that vote because this really is a critical time in our nation's trajectory I want to ask you, and I want to get into Corona, but I also want to ask you about the wave of black women. I mean, you talk about Alicia, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta, uh, Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris. All of these uh, women are doing great things, and a, a couple of them, and Val Demings is, is another one, are, are potential running mates for mm -hmm. uh, for Joe Biden. He has to make a decision on that. Uh, obviously, I, if you ask me personally, I think that obviously with the uh, what happened to Jewish Floyd, I think it's imperative that a black woman is the vice presidential uh, candidate. I, I think she, she needs to be on that ticket. Now, you could take your choice. I, I probably lean towards Stacey Abrams uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that she's in a region that there are some swing states in there she can influence um, being from the South. But I want to ask you about the how proud you are as a African-American woman to see these women doing tremendous things and really uh, a 
people are paying attention to what you all say because you're so important, A, to the Democratic Party, but B, in leading parts of this country as senators and mayors and, and gubernatorial candidates. What are your thoughts? I think that this is a remarkable testament to understanding something that black women have known for quite some time, which is that we have been the backbone of democratic politics in this country in terms of a consistent voting bloc, uh, a group that can mobilize and who have really, really done a, a tremendous job at actual leading, le at actually leading. And I think now we are seeing that power being harnessed in a way and mobilized in a way in which those that are being elected are, are more and more becoming the faces of black women. And I think it's beyond inspirational to see that on a broad spectrum in this way and it, not just to have those elections take place. They're visible. You've got the, the, the mayor of Atlanta speaking out on behalf of our presumptive Democratic nominee. You've got Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, not only just being vetted as a vice presidential candidate or running mate, but who was herself a presidential candidate, you know, and you have Stacey Abrams who ran a historic race in, in Georgia among many, many other black women who are making a name for themselves, not only because of the work that they do, but also their ability to connect to people who have, who have been such an integral part of, our community and our elections and we've got to harness that that strength in order to cross this finish line successfully in November. So I'm I'm excited about seeing it. It's inspirational. I hope it inspires more black women to keep running. Even if you're not successful, you 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 get back out there, you brush yourself off and you get back out there. That's what you know it's 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 always about having the ability to be in the room at the table and then of course set that set the agenda because that's when you're going to start seeing those policy changes that impact our families actually come to fruition. And that's when you're going to see people who are seriously committed to being held accountable on those issues, because guess what? Those issues impact them just as well as the people they're asking to vote for them for it as well. So yeah, I want to ask you, I mean, it seems like the African-American community has just been hit with like a triple whammy. You have the, the COVID-19 uh, illness, the pandemic where African-Americans are disproportionately uh, dying from this. Then you have the 40 million plus people who are unemployed disproportionately affecting african-americans you have a lot of african-americans on the front lines they can't they have the kinds of frontline jobs where they have to come into contact with the general public and then you have the george floyd uh, tragedy which it mobilized people but it also you have sixty thousand people you worry i worry a lot about uh, spreading the spikes in the uh, in the virus affecting our communities even more what do you tell black folks now? I mean, because it's a tough, tough time and it's hard from a mental health standpoint for, for people to stay engaged and just to, to get over all of these blows that are coming at once. Yeah. I mean, this is a tough time and, and one in which we've never seen the likes of before. I think right now, you know, it's one of those things where we're getting hit by so many different angles. And I would, I would recommend you know, to make sure first you are you're staying vigilant about your own well-being and health, you know, anxiety, 
uh, mental health is an issue that is going to be prominent in a time with high stress, high anxiety. So making sure that we're taking care of ourselves, doing our checks on our family and friends, making sure they're okay. I would say start there. Then I would say look at it just like an elephant. What, how do you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And and not to be overwhelmed by the litany of issues that are taking place right now. You know, certainly if you are looking for opportunities, we know that jobs, you know, are going to be a challenge for a lot of people. Make sure if you uh, if you uh, qualify for unemployment that you filed there, but you have to stay in the in the hunt looking for more opportunities. They're opening up the state of Texas more and more. So there are more jobs that are going to be coming online as a result. Thinking through some of the temporary work that might be accessible is important. But then also, Making sure that when there are opportunities, you're letting your friends and your family know that's important is to try to keep a network going where we're sharing information about what's available, what's not available and the like. I would also say with regard to the criminal justice issue, we've got to formulate a strategy. We have engaged in protests and done it in a way that has made the masses hear our voices. Now the question becomes, now what are we going to ask the masses, masses or demand of the masses that we see change in. And, and that's the other piece of this. We've got to have the clarity of purpose and goals in terms of what changes do we want to see. I'd recommend that we ha have some forums where we amplify the voices of the community that have been silenced for so long. And we amplify those voices. We take notes. We should have a commission form to really dissect within our department's do we have the policies that are conducive for the type of relationship we need to have with our law enforcement community? There are various issues, no knock warrants, things that have come up within our community itself, but then also looking at areas of improvement across a broad spectrum. So uh, how investigations get conducted when there's use of force with a police department, even looking at how, how those claims prosecuted, making sure there's fairness, there's transparency, making sure, you know, body camera footage, those things are accessible in a way that people feel comfortable. Those are the things, those are the types of things that we need to be discussing, advocating for, and then finally having uh, an agenda and then holding the leadership accountable for actually achieving those goals and implementing those laws and those legal strategies. I will also end by saying the election coming up is going to be important in terms of jobs. Asking those that are running, what proposals do they have? Do we have another stimulus? that's being proposed thinking through how we make sure that money that does come down the pipeline for our mom and pop shops our small business owners actually get to them it was a huge problem with the ppp loans was that you know you had the large large banking institutions that had people that they normally contract with or do business with that were getting the loans and some of our our smaller business owners that may not have the same type of track record or history with those larger, larger banking institutions were not. It was a relationship. You know, what kind of relationship did you have with the bank? We've got to make sure that money is coming down to our local community banks our, and our CDFIs. We also have to make sure once that money is released that it makes sense what the protocols are in terms of how to go about making sure that it's truly a forgivable uh, loan or grant rather than something you have to pay back. 
And so making sure those conditions are such that it doesn't put more of a strain on the, on our small businesses that are trying to make it during a really difficult time. Now, those are the things I would I would recommend. One or, one or two more things real quick before we uh, get out of here. want to ask you, did we as a state open for business too soon are we reopening too soon it seems like especially in and obviously it's it's easily overshadowed by what's happening with but because of the murder of george floyd but uh, it seems like we've forgotten that this is a thing and that a lot of people are still getting sick and hospitalized and and dying from this disease uh did are we doing it right here in texas you know the data it's certainly not not fully in on that but i will say that we we're not following the recommended protocols on a federal level in terms of, you know, they recommended you see the downturn in numbers for a select period of weeks and, and those sorts of things, which was not what transpired. It just became a series of dates and thresholds of 25 percent and 50 percent in terms of the levels at which you could open. And so with the coronavirus, we've also learned that a lot of the data is somewhat delayed, right? So it's not like the day you go, you start going out and about and potentially get exposed is the day where you get tested. Most of the time it takes days for symptoms to present if they do present. And of course, you know, you're asked when you are exposed to be down for two weeks or, or isolate for two weeks. And so in that time when, you know, you may be asymptomatic, you're not showing any symptoms, you could be spreading the virus. So I think we will find out in a period of, of, of time, more like weeks in terms of what the true impact is and is going to be on Texas. I will say just this week, we had the highest number of infection, new infections reported is what I'm told. So I do know that there's been a, an uptick, but it's hard to say exactly if that correlated with the dates of opening or not. I'd have to look at that more closely. But I do think that there is going to be an increase in, in cases. Hopefully, it's not going to be astronomical, but it could. It could be very detrimental, and we have to stay vigilant and be careful. Wear the mask. I see so many people not wearing the mask. You've got to put that mask on, not just to protect yourself you're putting it to protect other people is to stop your your germs from spreading from you to the next person and you know it's about being considerate of the public health and the public health of others so you have to be your brother's keeper in that respect final question um you obviously of course wanted to serve uh, us the entire state of texas how can you how are you finding your way through being of service during this time because of course there's so many needs in so many areas how are you uh, focusing your abilities to to help yeah great question we have to make sure that information is being made available to people and that you're connecting i think there have been a lot of behind the scenes work that i have been doing and i think one of the things that is important for anybody to know and appreciate is that you don't have to have a title in order to lead. And you don't have to always lead in front of the scenes. Sometimes you can lead from behind the scenes. And so whether it's me placing a phone call and trying to get someone to activate a group or whether it's, you know, me making sure that information is getting disseminated where it needs to go, 
um, or writing, those are things that could be being done. And of course, volunteering, those are things that can be done behind the scenes to assist in a time where unfortunately the need is abundant. And so I will be, I've got some things that are I'm working on right now that are not quite ready to be announced, but stay tuned for that and, and just know that I am not going anywhere. I'm in the community. I'm invested. I'm from here. I grew up here, you know, and came back here. And, and there was a reason for that because the community, you know, being a, a servant leader requires you to serve alongside the people whether elected or not. And I, I'm, I'm certainly committed to doing that. So I appreciate the, the questions. You ask excellent questions and encourage people who have questions about what they can do. A lot of people want to know, what can I do to get involved? If you're interested, Obama did a wonderful outline of some of the things like our next steps with regard to criminal justice. You can go to his Obama uh, Foundation webpage and he has a bunch of resources, whether you're interested in learning more about policy change, there's a bunch of, there's a report, 21st century report listed and some other resources there. You can go there. You can also be uh, willing to contribute if you have extra cash to expand, contribute to some of the efforts, some, you know, their bail funds for people who've been protesting, etc., who need to be bailed out of jail. There's that information available. And then of course, volunteering to make sure that our elderly, our seniors, our people who are feeling left behind don't during the coronavirus, making sure you're getting those meals delivered. There are certainly cert, uh, a litany of opportunities. So follow me at Amanda for Texas on Instagram. And certainly I'm happy, you know, send me a direct message and I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone has. But it, the, now is not the time to, to cower down. Now is the time to stand up and to stand for the community. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of, of the community as we do that. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time. I'm so proud of my city uh, in light of all the things that have gone on and how we've conducted ourselves and been able to sort of unite across racial and, you know, age gaps and in every way, you know, different races, creeds, colors all coming together to ask for change in the appropriate ways. And I'm really proud of Houston. We've not suffered on the grand scale when you talk about some of the bad behavior. We've been really, really on point. And uh, people like you are, are a part of that. And I, your influence is huge. And hopefully, you know, I'm doing my part. And just the leadership here is doing a great job. So I'm, I'm proud of my city, and I'm sure you are as well. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Hey, Could not be prouder. Hey, well, thanks so much. Well, stay tuned and we'll uh, we'll uh, await uh, your next step. All right. Sounds good. want to thank Amanda Edwards for joining in. Very important conversation. And I hope uh, you digested all of that. And remember that as we move closer to November. You know, I wish I liked people as much as she does. <laughs> I mean, I looked at her campaign. Uh, no. I won't run for, no, I just, no, I don't, but we need folks like her and her enthusiasm is infectious. But with that, before I let go, before I let go, before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys for the support. Thank you for listening. Want to remind you guys, you can call the sports line 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614, 832-941-6614. And you can go to wadeswordproductions.com for all information. Hit me up on Twitter at wadesword, Facebook, Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group. Thank you so much. And as always, remember these four things.
Number one, I don't do no favors after six o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening. DJ I don't wanna talk about it, but no one understands me.